Do you know what type of doctor you want to be? With over 160 medical specialties and the rapid pace of medical school, choosing your final path in medicine can be challenging. MedicMap is here to help. Each episode features an interview with a practicing physician across a broad array of specialties and backgrounds. Tune in to discover the insights these professionals have to offer and to get all the juicy details to help you map your career in medicine. Happy listening! Welcome back to Medic Map for a new episode. I'm your host, Sharon Properly Joseph, and today we have the amazing Dr. Nicole Johnson, a pediatric rheumatologist based in Calgary. She is a clinical associate professor at the University of Calgary and received her university education at Canadian institutions, including McGill, McMaster, Queen's, and the University of Toronto. She's an advocate for community awareness for children with rheumatic diseases, and I had the honor of attending Dr. Johnson's patient presentations, where she had her young patients and their families join us for the afternoon to tell us about their experiences with different rheumatic conditions and within the healthcare system. And just to give you an idea of how that went in a nutshell, she was referred to as a personal angel by each patient and their families. And as you know, there are many subspecialties in pediatrics, But after witnessing the way that she has transformed the lives of these young children, I'm so, so proud to have her for MedicMap's first podcast on pediatrics. So let me introduce you to Dr. Nicole Johnson. Hi, Dr. Johnson. How are you? Oh, hello. Thank you for that humbling introduction. (laughs) Yeah, it's so good to have you. you. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you currently do? Yes. So as you mentioned, I'm a pediatric rheumatologist. So I spend most of my time uh, looking after patients with rheumatological diseases. And um, my other pillar would be in education. And as you mentioned, I give lectures at the medical school and work in terms of um, administrative educational roles as well. Why did you choose pediatrics and what was your journey like in medical school that led you down this route? You know, you feel like you're a cliche when you say that you think you always wanted to do medicine from you were in high school. But that was sort of true for me because I was in the third world and I used to volunteer at children's um, orphanages and things like that. And I saw a need from a healthcare point of view within those patients and those children. So I knew I wanted to do medicine and I always kept in mind what kind of age patients I wanted. So it was always interesting. I gravitated towards children, but I also in my personal life spent a lot of time around children. So I think it was an easy fit to, you know, embody what you enjoy in outside of work with, with, you know, what you're doing at school as well. So I, it was very easy to see that when I was doing med school that I I enjoyed the pediatric patients. With that, you sort of knew that you wanted to work with children, but then what made you decide, okay, now I want to specialize in rheumatology specifically? Uh, Well, I was always keen to do medicine. So I realized I liked all aspects of medicine. So when it came time to choose, it was a very difficult job. So every rotation was exciting. So I liked every body part. And I realized that rheumatology allowed you to think about different organs at the same time. So that was appealing. And then I just had great mentors. So in my rheumatology electives, the mentors were phenomenal people as individuals, as clinicians, as people who move the field. So there were researchers, there were also 
those who wrote the textbook in rheumatology. So you couldn't have asked for better mentors. Um, so doing that elective sort of consolidated that I liked it. But I guess I'd also step back a bit and talk about before medicine, I also did a master's in immunology. So I was in the Department of Physiology. So I realized I'd like to read immunology papers. So if I was picking up a scientific paper, it tended to be an immunology focused paper. And rheumatology by nature of the field is very immunology based. So that again, helped me with figure out my interest. That's really funny that you mentioned you found a mentor that you really appreciated and liked uh, because one of the career conversations I had, she talked about how like it's so important that you find somebody to look up to and that you want to sort of emulate. And a lot of people end up figuring out what they like because of that rather than, oh, the specialty was really appealing. More so it's this person is who I wanted to be and this is the path I'm going to take which is really cool as well. So I think that's that's a good a good tip to take away from this also, right? And then with setting yourself up for CARMS and preparing for residency, how did you set yourself up for success? I think part of it is you've got to enjoy what you're doing. So during med school, it, it was no hardship to, to study and read. I liked new knowledge. Any new knowledge was exciting. I also learned love to read around the patients that I saw. So I think that is a very practical way of getting through a very um, intense period, right? So you have to read, but being a steady reader helps you to get through those exams and gets you ready for CARMS. And similarly, when I was doing um, the pediatric training, I think that helped me as well because I always read around the patients that I saw because it was easier for me to, under, to, to think through the physiology to also think through how am I going to remember this is when I attached it to a patient that I was seeing. Um, when it came time to picking subspecialties again, I just did electives in many things because I, I really wanted to learn new things and I would pick things that I might struggle with. For example, I did ophthalmology because I really had trouble using the ophthalmoscope. So I wanted to practice that skill so I did an elective in it. Um, I wanted to learn how to read x-rays, so I did an elective in radiology. Now, of course, that's very difficult when you have a fast program that doesn't have a lot of elective space. So then you may have to think about what are your learning needs, what are your career asp uh, aspirations, so that you can do something in the field that you think you'd like to apply to, just so you can understand, is this something you want to do for a lifetime? Um, but I think ongoing learning is the key. You can't wait till the last minute to figure it out in terms of getting ready for exams and preparing yourself for the content that you're that's new to you. When it came to CARMS, I was still concerned. I didn't know what to do because I liked it all. So I had, I, 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 you know, it's my own strategy. I'm not going to tell everyone it's the right one. But my own strategy was to apply in CARMS to pediatrics, family and internal medicine. Because I figured if I got internal medicine, I would still pick something that was immunology based. Um, I did pediatrics because I liked the patient population. And I did family because it would allow me, again, to see different organ systems, but also have a cross-section of ages of patients. So that was how I did my CARMS. Um, I then ranked based on interest first. So pediatrics was my first choice in terms of all the pediatric spots. And then I moved into the other categories. Um, being 
a, a black physician, I did think about geography. So I had a lot to think about in, did I want to be far from family? Did I want to be in a place that allowed for my, my heritage to be present in the culture around me? So those were some considerations as well, initially. In hindsight, I laugh at myself because some of the places that I didn't rank, I ended up working in and realized I would have been just as fine. Um, but I did think about that when I was doing my CARMS. With those considerations in mind, what kind of advice would you give students who are applying for CARMS and trying to match into pediatrics? Um, what kind of advice would you give them in terms of how to set themselves up for success and how to match into the specialty of their desires? I find this a hard one because as an educator, I honestly believe that even if you have not done an elective in a field that you're applying to, that should not stop you from applying. And the reason I say that is a good student is a good student regardless of the field that they're in. Um, I think if you show an interest in the field based on understanding a little bit about what pediatrics is, and a little bit about why you want pediatrics, that if you haven't done an elective pediatrics, you typically would have done a core rotation in pediatrics that gives you some understanding and some ability to show aptitude in that field. I know that people feel the pressure in CARMS that you must do an elective in the field that you're going into. And, I, and, and again, I graduated many, many years ago. The pressures are very different. So I, I think I would speak to the program directors of that program ahead of time and say, if I don't have an elective in your field, is it difficult to apply so that you have an understanding of what you need to do? Um, I think being a good student in different disciplines is very telling for how well you're going to be as a resident. And what I mean by that is, do you take responsibility? Do you do you enjoy learning? Um, how, how are your communication skills? What are your work ethics? All of those things will be important no matter what field you go into. Um, I think also talking to the people who are going to write you your reference letters is important. So if they give you a lukewarm feeling that they're really not interested in writing your reference letter, maybe you need to move on to somebody else. Um, you will never know what they write because it's a confidential letter, but you'll get a sense from whether they're interested in supporting you or not. One of the challenges is all we're always insecure and feeling shy and don't approach people. I remember that being my issue as well, some, sometimes not knowing how do I approach someone. And I think what I've learned in being on the other end of writing reference letters as preceptors, sometimes we give hints that we're happy to write you a reference letter. So take that and, and run with it. And the other thing you could do is help that person. So I remind my students, I said, just remind me which patients we saw together, because it, it, it reminds me of how you handle that situation. And I'm able to give some very personalized reference letter material. So being prepared when you're asking for that reference letter helps. Just say, we worked together in this period. This is what we did together. I would really appreciate the letter. Could it be a strong letter? And, and from that, you'll get a sense. Um, certainly, most schools are dealing with being more inclusive and working hard at their entrance criteria and making, you know, to reduce bias. So I think that you'll, you'll notice 
hopefully in the next generations, we're working on reducing bias so that we're really looking at people's aptitude and skills and not just, you know, who you know because they did an elective with you, for example. Because not everyone has the luxury to move around, right? Not everybody has the funds or the time or the family commitments that allows them to travel for electives. Um, so I think being being prepared to support whoever is writing that reference letter is one thing. Being able to to ask around um, and maybe even as you start a rotation, say, you know what, I'm really interested in this field. Um, you know, maybe halfway through, if you've had a good experience, you might say, I'm interested in writing a reference letter by the end of this rotation. Just let me know if you're comfortable doing that letter for me. So that might help people because it's time travels quickly. Um, yeah, hopefully that's helpful. No, that's that's definitely very helpful. I like your approach in kind of being proactive and then helping your um, preceptor kind of write that letter because that ensures that you have a strong way to, you know, end things and they can wrap it up in a nice and concise way for CARMS. So that's really great. And so once you started working in pediatrics, what were some of the challenges that you faced? Are, are there any challenges that you currently face? Again, I'm someone who liked it all. So I liked every subspecialty of pediatrics. So definitely coming down to, am I going to do general pediatrics or a subspecialty was important to think about. I did find sometimes it was emotional. So for example, sometimes in the neonatology, when you lost a patient, that was hard. Or in oncology, when you lost a patient, that could be very hard. Um, but again... I still never regretted any of those connections that we made with those families, right? Yeah. So you just had to make sure that you were being mindful of your own emotional needs, where you needed support, um, where you needed to take time out. Um, whenever you were tired, when to say, I'm really tired, I am post-call, I'll be leaving now. I had my first needle stick injury on a rotation where I was trying to support a child getting his immunizations. And I knew I was tired. I kept trying to say, I'm really tired. I'm leaving now. And this is, oh, but you're so good with this kid. Can you just do this one more task? And that taught me that, no, when, when your body says no, you have to find that that no really is no. And there was a reason why you said no. It was because I wasn't at my best skill. So I stayed too late post-call and caused a needle stick injury. So I think knowing yourself is key. Um, and being able to communicate that is important. So when you need to step away, when you need supports. Um, so if we had, a, for example, a very sad situation that we all knew when we needed to, to let our preceptors know that this was emotionally taxing so that the right supports could be brought in. Yeah. Having that sort of self-awareness seems to be really important in working in pediatrics. So what kind of student would excel in this field? So someone with self-awareness for sure, but what else? What other qualities? I think great communicators, because just like when you hit, for example, geriatric medicine, some of your patients have communication challenges. So you're, you're dealing with different age groups. You're dealing with multiple people at once. So for example, you know, there'll be the two-year-old versus the 16-year-old, and they have different needs in their communication styles. You may have in the room a grandparent, the parent, and the child. So you have to be comfortable with dealing with communicating with multiple people. 
you also need to be a little adept, um, somebody who's flexible. So if you're doing a physical exam on a child, you can't have the same system every time because you might not be able to do the ears before you listen to the heart. So that sense of flexibility is good. I think having a sense of humor is important and I think it's important in all fields, but that helps you develop rapport with, with the pediatric patients and allows them to, to feel safe so that you can get your job done. Um, always being a negotiator, <laughs> but again, that's, you know, these are basic principles of doing patient care and patient-centered care. Um, more and more, we recognize the need for all clinicians to be trauma-informed in how we approach our patients. And we need cultural sensitivity in how we approach all of our patients. But certainly the pediatric field really leans on people with good communication skills. Um, you have to enjoy the, the work that you do. Um, you have to be self-aware so that when it is emotionally taxing, you can continue to do this work. Um, what else can I think about? We do do multidisciplinary care. So we are across different specialties in, and across different disciplines. So a lot of communication with allied health um, and family-centered care would be the other thing you'll notice in pediatrics. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things I took away from your patient presentation and that you've just highlighted was like the kind of dance that you sort of do back and forth with your patients in negotiating uh, what about this? And they're like, no, no, that doesn't work for me. And then you're like, okay, wait, let's let's compromise and meet in the middle somewhere. I really like that. And I like I liked that aspect of the work that you do, especially with rheumatology. It's nice to see that you have that negotiation and that you give your patients an opportunity to speak up and have a voice for themselves so that they can advocate for themselves with that understanding as well. Yeah, yeah and I think it relates very well to any chronic diseases, right? So they'll they're going to have to be managing their illness for a very long time. So we have to find a way to give them a patient voice in that conversation so that they can develop self-management skills. Um, it's not to say that they get to to dictate everything because there are some things that are life and death. And then you see, you know, you, you really can't get through, you know, a particular disease, say vasculitis, without some steroid use. So they can't say, I'll never take steroids. You have to work with them and let them understand that some of the decisions, the harm that it will bring mm -hmm. in terms of life or death, and then work with them on the side effect profile to mi minimize their side effects. So I think, you know, patient-centered care is, is what we strive for, no matter what specialty we're in, and also teaching patients to be their, you know, self-managers of their illness goes a long way emotionally for them. With all of these challenges and all of these uh, complex cases that you see, what are the big takeaways or what are the perks of pediatrics that makes you go, yay, this is this is a good day. I can do this. Kids are resilient. Um, uh, again, they will defy every textbook. So there might be situations where you think, where is the recovery? And children are just very resilient. Uh, the brain and the body has ways of doing repair that we don't expect when they're pediatric patients. I think the other aspect is they're authentic. <laughs> so if they like you, they'll tell you. If they don't like you, they'll tell you again. And then you, you get to understand where you stand. And then you work from that 
point, right? Mm -hmm. um, so even when they're very sick, sometimes they, they still have a sense of humor, they still have positivity. Um, you, you're in a position of privilege in a sense, because again, as a chronic care provider, I see them probably more often than their family doctor sees them. Um, so you're in a position to, of influence as well. So you have to take that with a great deal of respect for the power that you're in and reduce any power differentials, but also acknowledge the, the level of influence that you have on these children's lives and hope that you leave with a positive influence at the end. How does compensation work in pediatrics and how well are pediatric um, specialists compensated? That's a difficult question because I guess it depends on um, where you are in the country. Because I, I do think that the, the province determines the, the pay schedule for each kind of patients that you see. I think pediatrics it doesn't pay as well as internal medicine, as far as I'm understanding, and different subspecies pay better than others. So, for example, rheumatology, because we're not seen as the acute service, in other words, our call, we're not expected within 15 minutes, but within 24 hours or then our call schedule and our call pay is not as high as other specialties, for example, ICU or cardiology, but you still make a decent living. And when you compare to the rest of the population, we're high earners, right? So we have to take that privilege and understand it. Um, the current ballpark, it's very difficult to say whether you're salaried or if you work for yourself, because again, if you do direct billing, depending on how you structure your practice with efficiencies, you'll earn way more than somebody else mm -hmm. who doesn't have an efficient practice. And if you do procedures in pediatrics, so depending on the subspecialty that you choose, if you have a high procedural subspecialty, there's another way to earn income. So for example, if you are a pediatric respirologist, you may be able to bill for the pulmonary function tests that you do. So rheumatology doesn't have a lot of um, procedures, mainly it's our joint injections. They're, they're not that highly paid and we have to generally sedate children to get it done. So you can't do a ton of them at once. Um, but I think it's a decent living, right? And you have to be mindful that you're earning way more than the average population and, and take that fiscal responsibility seriously. But you do, I think it's a longer training. So you'll end, you know, if you're doing student loans, it's a longer training, so five to six years total. And if you do another subspecialty, maybe seven, depending on what you do. Um, so you'd have to be thoughtful about how you manage your finances during the training time. But if, you're, if you do a good job and have good financial guidance, you'll be able to pay off your student loans um, and live a comfortable life. I think those are probably the messages. So get help. <laughs> so do to get financial advices and get the help early. So I went to to get help even during med school when thinking about loans, how do you deal with that? Always set aside a little bit of money, even if it was only the $20 you had, to, to being very thoughtful about when to start that savings so that at the end you're able to pay off those student loans and not have that stress carry on for a long time. So get guidance early. Right. Yeah, and I think that's especially important considering the length of the training that you're undergoing and 
the fact that you're dedicating so much time to this, but you also have to think about your financial security all at the same time, right? It's, it's quite a bit of stuff. So yeah, it is. It is. Well, the one advice I also got was try to live in the same uh, financial bracket from the year before. So in other words, when you're moving from a med student to residency, stick with your budget from you were in a med school. And then as you move up from the you know resident to fellow, fellow to staff, try to live in the previous budget. So you don't immediately step up and buy that terribly expensive car at the moment your salary goes up. So if you can do that, it really sets you up for success. Yeah, that's actually the first time I've heard that advice. And that seems like it should be something that's shared like more frequently. I don't know why I've never heard that before. That's good. That's awesome. If you were to sort of give a rough estimate for like a number um, in terms of what someone who, you know, just finished their residency training, uh, maybe just in general peds, what would be the ballpark for how much someone could make? Ooh, I have no idea, but I think I think you're in the 200 to 300,000 per year, I think. Um, certainly if you if you are doing general peds and you're um, managing your schedule in the community practice, um, that money would have to be divided in how you deal with your overhead. So it also depends on the overhead practice, the overhead contracts that you um, you work through. So how many partners are you sharing that overhead with, for example, and how did they structure the billing um, experience? Um, and if you're in in and whether you're going to do part time or full time work, so all those things add up. And whether or not you have a family to support, whether you're on your own, um, are you doing remote care, right? So are you flying into one city to do care and then flying back? Then you have to account for all the expenses of getting you to and fro, whether you're doing locums or whether you're working for yourself, all those things matter. Right. And does does compensation differ significantly if you decide to specialize or is it like, I guess it changes based on the subspecialty, but what is that like? Yeah, I would, I, I'm not the pro at this stuff. So, but I'd say that it does matter your subspecialty. So I think that, especially when you're not in a center that does salaried physician care. So for example, in, in Alberta, we're very fortunate that there is an alternative funding program. Um, but across specialties, depending on the tier that they mark is, especially you might get different earnings. And what, like, as I said, if you do procedures or not procedures, um, but if you also work for your own, you also, you know, there's no cap as far as I understand for pediatrics. So you work, you, you earn as hard as you work, I guess. One question that I often ask all of my interviewers is, the ability to kind of uh, have flexibility within your job. So that means like being able to reinvent yourself every few years when you're like, oh, this is kind of getting dull. I want to step out of what I typically do. Is that a possibility uh, in pediatrics and specifically in pediatric rheumatology? Um, I would say definitely in both. So in pediatrics, you could um, provide your niche, whether that's in um, developmental pediatrics or you said, I'm going to support the asthma clinic or um, whether you're going to do child abuse. So there, there are ways in which you can reinvent yourself by focusing the patient population that you're interested in. 
you may also reinvent yourself in where you work. So some people might work in an, in a community office, but also provide inpatient hospital pediatrics. Um, within specialty, for example, in rheumatology, you may, it's forever changing field. So the treatments that I started with have tripled and doubled, and it's just a new field every day. Like the new drugs that are discovered in rheumatology have changed the way we treat our disease and has changed the natural history of the diseases. So we're in a much better position now than 20 years ago in our field. So that in it of itself is changing how you practice. Um, you may choose to do things like I would do subspecialty clinics. So recently, one of our colleagues has moved to another city. So I'm filling in for their lupus clinic. So again, that's a change in my practice where I'm seeing some complex lupus patients with my nephrology colleagues. So we're doing combined clinics. So there are other ways to reinvent how you do things. If you're in your community practice, you may choose to hire a nurse that does certain aspects of your care, like a nurse practitioner, or, and that could change how you do your clinic. So there's always a way to reinvent yourself. And in our case, with an um, alternate funding program, I'm able to spend some of my time doing other things. So research, education, administration. So then, you know, your career changes according to those roles. Yeah, so quite a bit of room for creativity and flexibility. That's nice. With sort of serving these particular populations, so serving children and also being a parent, do you find that difficult or is that is that challenging for you? I think it, I think it's challenging for, for anyone if you're, because you'll, you know, whether you're a parent or you have family that remind, their patients might remind you of, I think you just have to be self-aware of when that's interrupting your decision-making and then ask for support and, and have someone step in. So for example, being on call when your you know, family friend's child is on and you have to, you're the rheumatologist is expected to see, if you realize that's gonna factor in your judgment and your decisions, you may have to ask for somebody else to do that care. And um, yeah, again, it's, it's really about being self-aware because you're not, you're, you yourself will never know what's going to trigger you necessarily. It could be the age of a child. It could be, you know, what their interests are. It might remind you of somebody that's close to you. So all of those things can come up no matter where you are, when you are um, doing that care. So you just have to be self-aware. All right. And that brings us to our last question. What is the best advice that you can give to our listeners today about navigating their career in medicine or like life in general when trying to decide where to go and what to do with their career? I think the main message is if you, if you enjoy medicine, just remember that it's still a service industry, that you're still serving your patients, whether you're in pediatrics or internal medicine or in surgical field. I think if you can keep that front and center, it will give you fulfillment. Um, I think you try your best to to be self-aware about what are the things you like, whether you like acute care or chronic care. And that helps, again, decide the specialty, whether you like a procedural or non-procedural, what age group you like to work with. All of those things help you narrow down CARMS. And if you enjoy and respect children, 
pediatrics is a great place to be. Um, if you, you can, yeah, those are the, the things that I can think of really. And for rheumatology it was the fact that I can live in uncertainty because in the beginning, our diseases can be hard to detect. So if you can work through uncertainty, you can handle rheumatology. And the, it's a beautiful field because it's forever changing and our immunology knowledge is growing. So what was unknown five years ago becomes more known um, through time. So those are the things that I would say if somebody was thinking about peds and rheumatology, that's what I would say. Awesome. So thank you so much for all of the great advice and all the all the things that you shared with us today. It was really great having you on the show. And I'm, I'm so glad you were the first person that I had on for pediatrics. I think it's it's perfect and it's very suiting of the impact that you have. Thank you. I hope this someone finds this useful. Okay, and that brings us to the end of our pediatrics episode on MedicMap. Thank you so much for all the support that you guys have shown me. Thank you so much for supporting this channel, and I hope you come back for more. Other than that, have a great rest of your day and have a wonderful week ahead. Bye!